This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll read that together. That's found on page 533 of the Book of Praise, Lord's Day 19. It's a further explanation of the statements we confess in the Apostles' Creed. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us as members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Beloved Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read a few verses out of Matthew 24 and Luke 21. You could read some more out of Matthew 25. And you can see that these chapters are speaking about many things that we don't always understand, and there's been a lot of debate about exactly what they mean. It appears that the Lord Jesus is speaking about the fall of Jerusalem, at least in a part of these chapters, which happened in 70 AD, but also about his own return at the end of the ages, a, a visible, they would say cosmic uh, event. And then when you add in the Old Testament prophecies, the apocalyptic literature, that's the, the literature that speaks about the, the end times that was written to comfort God's people, like Revelation or the end of Daniel, it's called apocalyptic literature. And you read that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then you read about Paul's teaching and you see his expectations. It becomes difficult to determine exactly where we should stand on the whole discussion about the, the end times. Or eschatology is the big word. And so some people, a lot of people have written books. Some write books about the numbers and they wait expectantly for Jesus to come back according to their calculations. Others spend a lot of time connecting the bad guys in the prophecies such as the Antichrist or the lawless one or the desolation that causes destruction with current events or, or people that we may know today or in the past. And you've probably read a book or perhaps a Facebook article that, uh, of some conspiracy theorist who appears to have strong biblical proof that the lawless one is actually, and then you can fill in the blanks, a U.S. president or the Pope or an association of international leaders. And we read this and it's not always very clear 
what we should think about what we're reading. And as children, it can be difficult as well. I remember as a learning as a child in an interdenominational school for the first time about the rapture, and we read about that one taken and, and one left, and, and how that was applied and taught in the school, and that all of a sudden someone could disappear. That's kind of frightening, unsettling for a child who all of a sudden can't find his mother. So these, these theories and explanations about the future and about rapture uh, were, were things that we hear, and, and there's so much of that. Later on, I, I learned that this debate has something to do with the thousand years reign. And you can read about that. There's different types of mills. There's pre-mill and post-mill and a-mill and has to do with the thousand year reign and where we stand in, in relation to that. And your understanding of, of this theology, this explanation can actually have a can be related to your optimism or your pessimism about the age that you live in. And so there's a lot of things that we can study and, and we, need to, we need to learn about and, and compare to, to Scripture. And then there's others, maybe a more popular level, who, who read things on a superficial level. I remember when I was in Brazil and I met some people who were quite charismatic, but they explained that they never never take off all their clothes, not even in the shower, um, because they don't want to be found naked when the Lord Jesus comes back. And you can find that also in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus says, don't be found naked. And, and others, uh, and I think it's the same as today, but uh, so-called evangelical churches, they, they, they had uh, elaborate charts and descriptions and then all the members need to memorize the charts and the descriptions about the, the stages of Christ's return and what was going to happen at, at what time. And it was so complicated, so much to learn that when I was asked to, to teach about this, the end times in one of the seminaries, I, I explained that I couldn't because the students knew more than I did about all that was going to happen. I said they even knew more than the Bible did about all that was going to happen. And so we see that when we talk about the end times and all the different views, it can be quite a, a confusing thing for us as God's people, as, as Christians in this world, and, and we meet people who have very strong opinions and, and others who, who don't, and, and it, it can be a, a difficult time. And then we come to, to our confession. And, and you see that Article 37 of the Belgian Confession, perhaps the most detailed of our confessions about the end times, it doesn't answer a lot of these questions. It doesn't give a, a lot of clarity about exactly what's going to happen, even though it's, it's very, it says a lot. And then we notice that our confessions don't enter into the theories and the discussions, but it looks at us as God's children. It looks at us and it, it, the, the confessions, our confession, it, it highlights the comfort of everything that Scripture says about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly in line with, with the ap apocalyptic books. They're, they're written to comfort the believer in the midst of the, the turmoil and the tribulations of this life. And our catechism is the same. It focuses on the comfort that can be derived from the fact that the Lord Jesus is coming back, that the Lord Jesus is coming back. 
so that as we confess when he does, you will be ready and you will lift up your head to meet him. I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will stand up and lift up our heads to meet our master. And we'll see three aspects, our master's rule, our master's return, and our master's reward. We will stand up and we'll lift up our heads when our master returns. And that's very important to understand. Whatever happens in the future, we know that right now, our Lord Jesus is king. We know that he is reigning over the whole universe as head of the church. We confess in our catechism, in question and answer 51, that he is, is pouring out heavenly gifts upon us, his members, and that it's a reference to the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. It's even a reference to the office bearers that he gives to us that to, to lead us in all holiness. You can see that in the text references. Acts 2 verse 33 refers to the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4 verse uh, verses 7 to 12 is speaking about the office bearers. We just had an election this morning and, and an appointment of new office bearers. That's a testimony of the fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is king. We believe that he is the good shepherd. He never leads, leaves us, and, and he leads us as his flock. Like we heard a few weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 47 and the ascension, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has subdued all our enemies. That's why we sing, we sing about that in Psalm 2. We sing about that in Psalm 110. Our King, Jesus Christ, rules with an iron scepter. And when the New Testament talks about the end times and the Lord Jesus' return, it always does so in light of the present situation where you are right now. When we think about the future, we need to think in terms of a continuation of the present. Jesus Christ is reigning. We think of his rule. That's the starting point. No matter what you think about the future events, this does not change what we are called to do today. And in Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus compares it to a master who is going on a trip. In verse 45, you see that he, and before he goes, uh, he puts one servant in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. And the Lord Jesus says in chapter 24, verse 46, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So he gave a task as king, and then he says, you should be doing that when I return. No matter how much we may debate about how it will be at the end, there is no doubt about what our king, the Lord Jesus, expects of us, his subjects, right now. He has revealed himself in his word as creator. He has called each of us to serve him with our work, in our families, in our worship. He has given us the Ten Commandments which show us how to carry out our task, living in love toward him and toward our neighbor. No matter what you think, 
about the end of times, you have no excuse for any disobedience today. Our king is ruling now. And so if your end of time understanding or theology actually makes you think that you can be disobedient now, the idea I can always repent later, or less faithful in, in mission, in mission to all nations, and you hear some people say that, well, well they can always repent later. Or there will be a time when all the Jews can all of a sudden repent and it takes away their, their, their drive, their desire to be faithful today. If that's the case, well, then your understanding of what the end of times will be like is wrong. The Lord Jesus was very clear how we must live today until he returns. He shows this also when he refers to the time of Noah. All around Noah, People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, chapter 24, verse 38, and they didn't care. They didn't want to listen to Noah, and we learn in Peter that Noah was actually a preacher of righteousness. Perhaps he was preaching about the coming judgment. They weren't interested in Noah's church-building work today. The only way that they could escape, they, they didn't pay attention to that. They were only thinking about doing what they liked. The message is very clear. As faithful subjects of our master and king in heaven, we need to be faithful in our task in the church today. He is ruling right now. The same king who will rule forever. Our master, Jesus Christ, then he warns us about things that can confuse us. And that's what chapter 24 and Luke 21 speak about. You can read the whole chapter in, in, at home, but you can see that the Lord Jesus speaks of catastrophes, of wars and famines and earthquakes that would hit the earth with their horrible consequences that makes every man and woman wonder if there really is a God. He speaks about the persecution of the church, of families betraying the master's servants, of fellow citizens in the kingdom whose love will grow cold. And in the midst of all this, we have to continue to believe that our master, Jesus Christ, is king. He is ruling now. We have to remember his words that these signs that seem to indicate clearly that he is not in control are the very signs that God will use to warn us that he is coming. Chapter 24, verse 33. The Lord Jesus warned his little flock that even when so-called Christians rise up and claim that they are the Messiah and the Savior, chapter 24, verse 5, we should not believe them. We should not go out to see them. Verse 26. The deceivers, or they are deceivers. And Paul tells us the devil who himself can masquerade as an angel of light even gives them power to perform signs and miracles, even though they do not love the Lord Jesus. And then you can see what the Lord Jesus says in chapter 25, verse 25 It's actually chapter 24, verse 25. See, I have told you ahead of time. 
says, you're gonna face all these things, but don't forget that I am ruling. I've told you this ahead of time. And the other thing that may confuse us, says the Lord Jesus, is the delay. In Matthew 24, verse 48, he presents the possibility of a servant who really does not love his master and who really does not want to live as a faithful and wise servant. And we read that suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time and then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Peter writes about the mockers who ask, where is this coming? He promised. Just like the men in Noah's age who didn't believe the preaching, just like the unbelievers in our lives who become foolish because of their impatience. The Lord Jesus warns his people in chapter Luke 21, verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. And so with these words of our Lord Jesus in our minds, we look to our own lives and we can ask the question today, thinking of the reading and, and the confession, uh, we can ask the question, do I live with a real expectation of Christ's return? Do I live with a real expectation of Christ's return? The Lord Jesus says that the man, woman, or young person who spends his weekends drinking and getting drunk, and the rest of his week weighed down with anxieties of life, is living as if Jesus Christ is not king, and as if he is not master, and as if he is not returning. You read that, Luke 21. He warned drinking, drunkenness, dissipation, anxiety, that's a sign of not having a real expectation of Christ's return. We read about that, that servant who, who turned around and started beating on, his, on, on the fellow servants, those who are, are, are cutting down other members in, in, in the community. That's living without a real expectation. But we know that our Lord, Jesus Christ, is king. He is ruling, and we know what we need to do today. And so it doesn't matter that we don't know when he is coming back because we are ready. We, we, we are serving him every day. And then Jesus' words, they come to comfort us. They comfort us. He understands sometimes why we're falling away, why we, we fall into this anxiety and this dissipation. He knows the pressure of being different. And he warns us, he tells us, he comforts us. He says, don't, don't worry if you're different. If you're gonna be different. Don't worry if, if people are mocking you. If you feel that, that mockery is too hard to take, he says, remember, I am king. You're gonna see a lot of stuff that's gonna look like I'm not in control. I am in control. We sang that even in Psalm 123 where, where the slave looking to the, the master's hand and then the second stanza we talked about the, the, those around us who were mocking, proud complacency. 
And the Lord Jesus says, but you can be encouraged that you're different. Be encouraged by this difference. It shows that you believe that your master still reigns, that you believe that he is coming, that you believe your redemption is near. And so God's people live as subjects of the eternal, powerful king, standing up and lifting up our heads as we speed his coming. As we see in the second point, our master will return. When the Lord Jesus tells us to stand up and lift up our heads, as we read in Luke 21, he doesn't mean we have to lift up our heads like arrogant people do. It's not the the challenging stance of of a rebel, but it's like the head of the servant looking to his master for grace and vindication. As we sang in Psalm 123, that attitude as you sang that psalm, that's what we confess here in Lord's Day 19. It's the attitude that Peter preached in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. It speaks about look up and speed his coming. He speaks about the end times. The Holy Spirit speaks about the end times when everything will be destroyed. And then immediately after he says, and I'm reading just most of the verses here, 11 to 13. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We stand up, we lift up our heads because we are looking forward to an eternal home for the righteous. Eternal home for those whom God has made righteous. And then Peter says, you're looking up for your master to return. How holy you will be. How holy you must be. Christians speed his coming. We are eager. We are ready. We are different than the world. Yeah, we suffer for that. But we see our master returning. The one who put us in charge before he left. And so the point is that although we do not know when our master is returning, we do know that he will return. The whole Bible actually ends with that promise. You can open up your Bibles into Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. You'll notice that's the very end of of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible. And just look at this chapter. If you look at verse seven, you read, behold, I am coming soon. And then you read verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. And then you go a little further, verse 20. We're getting very near to the end of of all of Scripture. And he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And God's people say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Apostles' Creed is simply repeating the words of our Lord Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God the Father and will come again. We believe he is ruling. We believe he is returning. And so we say these beautiful words, maybe the best words to explain the whole situation. In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await the coming of my Lord. The, The world before the flood was not a, very nice world. It was violent. A lot of suffering. A lot of people hurting one another. 
very similar to the situation today. And then Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So in the midst of all that violence, there's the voice, the Lord is still speaking to the world through the church. People around us can know very well that the Lord is coming to judge and that there is only escape in the place where God is working. In the time of Noah was the ark. Today, it's the church. And the Lord Jesus is very clear. He says, if you do not recognize your master when he is gone, he will not recognize you when he returns. But if you live your life right now in the understanding that the Lord Jesus is reigning, this will change your perspective. That's what he shows in the parables in Matthew 25, immediately after the passage we read. He makes it very clear that everybody knew he was coming. There were 10 maidens waiting for the bridegroom to come. 10 maidens who wanted to be there for eternal life. They knew he was coming. Both the wise and the foolish knew that the wedding was going to happen. Only five didn't love the bridegroom enough to be ready, especially if it caused them any inconveniences. The parable of the talents, once again, everyone knew the master was returning. You can read Matthew 25 at home or during uh, this afternoon or during the week sometime. But the difference was between the, the men was how much they cared about this. If they didn't see him as their master when he was with them, why would they think he's their master when he is away? And they didn't, they didn't care. But those who truly love their master now will eagerly await his return, will live in anticipation, will be preparing themselves with oil in their lamps, using their talents for his glory and for his kingdom. They will speed his coming. So how do we show our eagerness? We're eager for him to return. How do we show that? Well, we've already seen that we show our eagerness by being firm and fearless in the midst of the signs of Christ's coming, the persecution and the suffering. No matter what we have to suffer, we will, will not lose our grip on the promise of our Lord. Matthew 24, verse 13, he says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We hold on to that. We can also speed his coming by dedicating us to the last thing, or dedicating ourselves to the last thing that must happen before Christ Jesus returns. Look at Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. So there you see 24, verse 13. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the Great Commission is related to the return of our Master. The wise and faithful church will preach the kingdom because of the command, but also because of our desire for Christ to return. There are many who have never heard the word of God. Paul says we need to encourage one another with the promise of Christ's 
return. We need to speak about it with one another often. Sometimes we live a lot like the rich man who built bigger and bigger barns because he was so sure of his long life here on the earth. We could say he had a low uh, expectation. He didn't, he didn't see that Christ's return as something very real. He, he, he was going to invest everything into his life here on earth. And such people that live like that, they they think there's always going to be another day. Always another day to repent. Another day to talk to the co-worker. Another day to make peace with that brother or that sister. That's not living with a a real expectation of Christ's return. We, We plan for long lives on the earth, which in itself isn't bad, but it's bad when we don't plan for the return of Christ, when we don't plan for all of eternity in his presence. As Christians, we do both. And we have eternity to spend with each other. We know that. And until then, we live in that understanding. We see the world around us in that understanding. One day, the Son of Man will appear. Maybe before I finish the sermon. One day he will appear. and Everyone will see him. We know that the bridegroom is coming. We know that the master who was a long time in returning will return. Revelation 1 verse 7 says that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Matthew 24, verse 27 tells us that he will be visible like lightning that is visible in the east and the west and the nations will see him coming in power and glory. Luke 21 talks about the terror of that moment that that when everyone will see him, it's all like we confessed in article 37 of the Belgian Confession, the wicked and the rebellious, it'll be a terrible, horrible day for them. You can imagine the, the catastrophic news pouring out of the televisions and, and the phones from all over the world, blinking and blinking with news flashes. You can imagine the upheaval, the fear, the apprehension. Every sinner will see him coming and that will be the end of Satan's Attack against the church. The master will return and he will see that abusive man or woman. He will see that drunkard. He will see that person living in sexual immorality. He will see that servant beating the other servant or oppressing the master's other servants. It will be clearly seen like so many posts on on Facebook but there will be no more of that in his kingdom. That suffering, that oppression will end. And we, as Christ's little flock, held in God's hands, whether it's us, the families we know today, whether it's our children's children, generations from now, the the church here on earth, God's little people battered and bruised, we will stand up, We will look with eager expectation. We will say, our redemption has come. Our redemption has come. 
And the Lord Jesus says, take heart. Take heart, fellow pilgrims. The master will return. The kingdom of God is near and his reward is with him. Judgment day. We read about that in article 37. Brings together all the different texts about that day. If you, you, you noticed when you read the article, how many times it was quoting the different biblical texts. And if you look at the, the whack of, of footnotes underneath it with more biblical references, you see it was bringing everything together in a succinct uh, few paragraphs. The living and the dead will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ who will be given this authority. And since everyone who is not a member of Christ's church is already under the curse, what has been known and seen for centuries will be visible as a devil, his angels, and their victims will be sent into the place of weeping and everlasting Rebellion and grinding of teeth. A grinding of teeth is a rebellious grinding of teeth. We confess that the demons daily expect their everlasting torments. The hypocrites who had pretended to long for the day of the Lord. You read about that in like the prophets Amos. They warn hypocrites to say, oh, I wish the day is coming. I wish the day is coming. But they don't. They don't want to serve the master. The hypocrites like those five foolish maidens who didn't really love the Lord Jesus, who were going through the motions, they will be locked out of the everlasting banquet. Paul summarizes when he says that on the day of judgment, and that's Romans 2 verses 5 to 8, there will be wrath and anger for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. On the day of judgment, some people will get what they deserve. God will be fair and just with some people, and it will be a fearful thing. But the gospel is that God will not be fair with others. He will give others what they don't deserve. He will give us what we don't deserve. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will not perish because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but we say to save the world through him. Then that difference that cost us so much, all our lives will be, will be seen, it will be visible. This savior, Jesus Christ, the same one who died on the cross to pay for your sins when you confess them to him, that same savior he will appear as the judge, your judge. You'll look to the eyes of the judge and you'll see your beloved Savior looking there. That's why our confession is so beautiful. In all my sorrows and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. It's a test and we know the answer. We know all the answers already. The Lord Jesus gave and will pass. We believe in him. We'll be allowed to, to come 
to, to come by him. If you look at Matthew 25, verse 34, the Lord Jesus even tells us the words that we'll hear. It's very, very encouraging. If you look to that day, we lift up our head, we stand up and we look to our master, and then we'll hear the voice, come, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The Lord Jesus gives us the words we'll hear. Who will hear those words? Who will hear those words? Well, chapter 25 goes on to explain it. That that parable of the sheep and the goats and people saying, well, why, when did I do these things? It's that well-known part of scripture. Who will be called forward to him? It's those weak and dirty sinners with nothing to offer who depend completely on Jesus Christ who live before him in such gratefulness that they want to show their love to those around them, to the needy, to those who who need help, to colleagues, to family. The Lord Jesus urges us who have been shown so much compassion, so much grace to show the same to others. In Luke 14, He even says, Luke 14, 13 to 14, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You'll hear that voice, come. That's why we we pray so much for the work of the deacons. We pray that we may be a congregation who's known for our compassion, for our love to others around us. We want to be a part of that. A communion of saints who show love to other unworthy brothers and sisters, even the needy of the world. We're so grateful for that undeserved mercy, compassion. We, we want to do the same. And those are the people in Matthew 25 that the Lord Jesus is calling. It shows who you are, your love. And the Holy Spirit urges the church, and uh, this is in, in Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, Who will judge the living and the dead? That's where Paul puts this exhortation. It's from uh, 2 Timothy 4. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Who will hear those words come? All you, it's those who are active in mission, who are speeding his coming, who who tell others about the gospel of salvation, who can't hold it in, who show it with their compassion, who show it with their words, who, who embrace their Savior, Jesus Christ, and it can be seen. Who will hear those words? You, brothers and sisters, will hear those words. You who believe who love Jesus Christ. That's why we hear this request for help for the VBS. It's a way of reaching out to the community that hits our hearts. We think we want to be a part of that. We want to be an active light in our community. We have an opportunity. We have other activities. The whole mission committee is busy with it. We have ways of helping abroad. We can maybe do it in a more simple way in our own community, our own workplace. When we speed his coming, when we're living as subjects of our master Jesus Christ who will return 
And in view of this, standing up and looking to him, we will be very different than the world. We won't have fear. We're very confident in all that we have. So may our lives be a reflection of what we believe. May, may your lives, may all of our lives really show that we are seeing our master coming. May we stand up. May we lift up our heads with great joy as we are counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which we are suffering on the day that Christ Jesus is revealed. Amen.